Welcome to the Irish NFL show and welcome indeed to our week five talking points brought to you by Buskers on the Ball in Dublin's Temple Bar. You can check out Buskers on the Ball on Sunday evenings where they show a selection of all the NFL live games and also Red Zone, if that's your preference, every weekend. Well, we'll get to all the talking points from last weekend's NFL action where week five saw the Niners dismantle the Eagles. It saw the Raiders pull out a win for their embattled head coach, Josh McDaniels. Patriots, however, limped to another embarrassing loss, which puts McDaniels' mentor, Bill Belichick, very much in the hot seat in New England. And we also, Brian, saw the Jags complete a winning two-game stand in London. You were there. How was it? Uh, it was really, really enjoyable. Uh, one thing I'd, I think I, I discussed on the group was the, the enormity of how many Bills fans turned up. But I don't necessarily mean Bills fans from UK or in across Europe. Like, there was a significant amount of fans that travelled over from the States and We've been to quite a few games over the last few years where there's a bigger following of one team rather than the, than the other we saw last year for large parts of the Packers Giants game. But uh, Sunday I was blown away by the, the amount of Bills fans there. But unfortunately, the air was out of the building come four to six, ten to six, because it just never really went the way in which many Bills fans expected on Sunday. But great day, weather was fantastic. And uh, look, you'll see it yourself on Sunday. It's a great venue for an NFL game. Bills Mafia are something else though, aren't they? I mean, you look at fan bases that you, you know, if it wasn't your own team winning the Lombardi that you'd, you'd love to see you get their hands on it because of what they bring to the to the table. Bills have to be right up there. And on Bengals, another fan base we've talked about, Colin, we won't overlook the Broncos who really get be, behind their team as well. Not that, not that there's much to get behind at the moment, unfortunately. And look, all three of us speak from, from the pit of humility, which is the one and four start to the season. So, we can chop all that up as, as we go through. But look, let's start with some of the brighter spots from, from week five and column. One thing that was kind of a relief for, certainly for Bengals fans, but also for, for the football fraternity as a whole, Joe Burrow looks like he's something close to being back or at least taking a step on that slightly hinky calf in the right direction against the Cardinals. It wasn't always pretty, but a lot of signs at least of some return to health. Yeah, uh, it's been a, a while coming. I mean, we're into October. Uh, it is, uh, I suppose, the um, the the season of uh, witches and and ghouls and, and Halloween. And I was kind of going to think about Alfred Hitchcock and and the theme uh, in terms of Burrow. This for the Bengals, right? He had a nineteen forty three movie, Shadow of a Doubt, and that was what had crept in perhaps for you and I, Connor, in relation to the Bengals, because we were both very high on this team going into the season. They really looked set up. Um, and then the calf injury and it has plagued him. And you could see over the last few weeks he has been able to throw properly. And um, there was all the the stuff with Jamar Chase and uh, always being open, etc. Uh, but he did look um, like he, I mean, it, it was such a difference at the weekend. And was he perfect? No. Is he absolutely back to where he can be? No, that will take a little bit of time. But did he show that I think he is overcoming the calf strain? The concern will always be, does it come back? Does he tweak it again? But there was a moment where he escaped pressure and he was like a border collie where they turn in circles uh, as he was running away from the defense. And though the ball actually didn't really get up, I think it was an eight-yard gain or thereabouts. Uh, but it was the fact that he was able to to turn, he was able to put pressure on the, the calf. That was enormously pleasing. And obviously, Jamar Chase had himself a, a day and they found ways to, to get him open. So 
I think if you're a Bengals fan or you are high on the Bengals, this is what you hoped for. This is what you wanted to to see. Um, and given results elsewhere in the the north, they're not as far back as maybe they might have uh, expected. And Brian, yeah, I know you were saying even even on the groups, like let's not get carried away with this. It, it is only the Cardinals at, at the end of the day. All due respect to. Arizona, like they they showed up as strong as they might, given the relatively limited resources at their disposal. But was the one thing that'll be encouraging for for Bengals fans and for Borough fans in general, of whom there are many. The deep ball is there. Like he was able to get the ball downfield to chase a couple of you know trademark Borough throws, hitting Jake Chase in full stride. And you know when that happens, there's not much you can do to stop. Yeah, kind of similar aspects to two years ago when Chase came into the league. Kind of had that little bit of a right start kind of eased off slightly and then it kind of came good around week five or week six and it kind of they shot on from there yeah 317 yards and three touchdowns to chase like it was it was almost Joe Burrow being being back I don't necessarily think he's back better is probably the word I'd use compared to what we've seen recently but uh, Chase certainly looked like he was back to himself and uh, you know T Higgins interesting enough didn't play in Sunday because of the injury I wonder is they, are they trying to spread this offense around to all the various different players because he's a player that's been discussed potentially that was one that could get away if they don't get the contract results for him but you know I don't know whether he just needs to go back to Chase the reality is he, he, he touched on the head of the Cardinals are been there to score 44-7 in the fourth quarter this season so I always felt that this was a game that was a nice one for them to try to get the offense back up and running and, and it certainly was the case and but the next three Connor they've got Seattle 49ers and the Bills I mean we're talking about them being back in the division or hunt the air because of the nature of the results but Here's the true test. True test of the injury as well, going up against Seattle's defense on Sunday. I mean, that's that decides your season right there. You go zero and three in those games, and it's done. Like no coming yeah, back from from one and seven, and even even splitting them going two and one, which would be a pretty good result against those three teams, is not not the easiest thing in the world to do. That's uh, you know, that's that's the acid test. All right, I don't think there's any two ways about that. Interesting though, when you when you touch on the Cardinals, and I sat down and watched. Uh, the, the majority of this game live actually I thought let's see how it goes I hadn't really seen the, the Cardinals in depth and wanted to check in on, on the Bengals development considering like yourself Colin I picked them as the, as the Super Bowl winners this year and you know, one thing I thought, I thought about the Cardinals they're they're so creative you know they, they work with what they've got um, but once James Conner went down they kind of got away from the running game a little bit they lost their confidence um, you know they, they, they use Rondale Moore a little bit in that position they have another um Another rookie running back who didn't look too bad once they they realized that they just couldn't rely on Dobbs to, to sling the ball down the field. They're limited, but it's hard to argue that um, Gannon isn't getting the most out of what's at his what at his, what's at his disposal. There, as you say, Brian, like they tend to make a fight of it till halftime. That's been their trademark this season, and then fall away off a cliff. It's like it's just not in them to sustain a challenge, particularly against one of the more uh, one of the top shelf teams in the NFL. But they're they're not a bad watch. It has to be said. You know, they're they're, they're worst teams. You could be stuck. Looking out of a, of a Sunday, you know, between us, we probably support three of them. But anyway, <laughs> I just just sorry, another day. Yeah, just on the guys like yeah, Connor, he's just on there, and not not yourself with the actor running back, but uh, James Connor, he's he's got an IR today, and he's going to be gone for four games, and that's a huge blow for him because he has been a bright a bright spark for him this season. He's kind of a forgotten man in many ways, and running back after leaving the Steelers previously, and he's kind of flowed under the radar, but he's had a, quite a productive season. I'll be playing in this card team, and unfortunately, no, he's gone for four. So it'll be interesting to see how they can address that this weekend when they go into LA to play the Rams. Are they going to rely on the rookies? So that could be could be a bit of a game changer for them. 
Which brings us nicely, Colm, to one of the other talking points that we wanted to touch on. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but you get to this stage of the season and the butcher's bill is, is already starting to look very lengthy for, for, for some teams in particular. And other teams have one or two particularly costly injuries. You know, we've, we've dealt at length with uh, what the Aaron Rodgers injury obviously did to the Jets and everybody knows that one. But unfortunately, it's starting to happen across the league now where significant injuries are, are piling up. And probably one of the more significant ones is that one to... Anthony Richardson at the Colts. He's got a sprained AC. Looks like, according to coach Shane Steichen, he could be out for as much as a month, um, which which is a real shame considering how the Colts had, had started the season because, you know, we've seen the Gardner Minshew show there. It's not going to be enough to get much going for them when they had looked quite frisky and, and a lot better than a lot of people expected them to be. Yeah, if he's a month on the sidelines, Connor, is this going to be, is he going to be akin to uh, James Stewart in um, rear, rear Window and we, we see him in, in a boot um, in the box with a pair of binoculars looking down onto the field at, at Gardner Minshew. Um, it, it is, look, I mean, to, to see him go out. Now, he's kind of acquired different types of injuries in the first few weeks. So people have been pointing out there have been a number of injuries, but you know, the first one I think he kind of threw himself into. The next one I felt was really unlucky. He just happened to hit, to hit his head. And this one, well, it can happen to, to QBs. Obviously, you know, it's happened so quickly. But the flashes we've seen have been outstanding. They they really have. And it looks like, you know, this guy, again, Brian and I talked about this last week. He played 13 games at college level. He was so raw. And he has really um, looked, at, you know, like he belongs and I think that Shane Steichen has done a fantastic job you would have to say at managing Bo Richardson but also when Gardner Minshew has had to come in like that's not an easy thing and it probably highlights the fact that they have a competent backup and they have a plan for when the backup has come in that they've been able to continue and and to win and um I, my hope, I suppose, is that Richardson doesn't have to go on IR, that we do get to continue to see him, especially with Jonathan Taylor and that contract having been sorted out um, there. But the Colts have shown um, maybe that they have learned the lessons of Peyton Manning and Tom Moore and that when you have a QB that go, goes down, you have a competent backup that can, can come in and, and, and play. But you don't want to be relying on Minshew if it's going to be four, five, six weeks. Yeah, you remind me of a great anecdote in the in the book, the the games that change the game, where there's a conversation on the on the sideline when the the, the Colts are talking about Manning, and you know the conversations around backup doesn't seem to be getting many reps here, lads. What's the story? And the response was, well, if he gets injured, we're screwed. We don't plan for screwed. That seems to be where a lot of teams are this season. But uh, to your point, and, and to Shane Steichen's credit, not in fairness. Where the Colts are also good to see that uh, explosion, offensive explosion from Zach Moss at the weekend. Um, now that they've got Jonathan Taylor back as well, there's more than one dimension to that Colts offense. The Giants offense, Brian, on the other hand, has been a major, major problem, one of the poorest in the league. Uh, not helped by the Daniel Jones injury at the weekend. It's a neck injury, which I think probably caused a sharp intake of breath among Giants fans, considering um, his, his past, his history with neck injuries and a particularly bad one that he's had back in the day. But, um, He's questionable now for for week six, and that that's not what the Giants need, right? No, and it's it's unfortunately for Daniel Jones. He's playing against an offensive line which essentially isn't there. He's like the weekend there was makeshift players coming off practice squads, coming in players 
from various teams picked up off the scrap off the scrap even off the street and coming in and playing right guard and left tackle and it was a complete mess to be honest. I think he was sacked eleven times last week. Ten of sorry, ten of which were were on him last week. Um, eleven and Howard in the game against Seattle and another handful this weekend. And it's sort of a concern for many a Giants fan over the past few weeks. It was brought up in week one when he wasn't taking out a game in the fourth quarter when the game was out. So as to why you would leave a quarterback in there when he's completely crippled by a poor offensive line. And now he's got the injury. Um, some slight relief today that he's suggesting he will play and I like that he will play this weekend. It's not a, a kind of a return to the previous neck injury where he had the operation, but we never really got a true true uh, kind of understanding of what the particular you know operation was. They called that procedure and at the time it only came out in late July that they actually he went and did that during the off season. I mean if he if he did just play behind that offensive line, it's kinda he it's gonna be out of season. He'll be out at some stage because like any quarterback we see, you can only go as far as your offensive line brings it. The Giants have bigger problems than just the offensive line. The whole thing is, let's be honest, it's a complete mess at the moment. From the coaching to, to the team, the head coach looks afraid. He doesn't seem to be bringing the energy that he brought last year. and um, He seems very flat in the press conference and it's it's night and day compared to what we saw from last year. He was lighting fires on players and he seemed to be lighting fires and people at the start of the season were seeing stuff falling off very quickly. And there's a comment in there around the Dolphins from Roy Fitzgerald around the day, the team that are going to go on and challenge within the AFC East, but like they certainly did a number on, on, on the Giants the weekend. It didn't come as a surprise, bearing in mind how, how explosive they've been offensively this season. Yeah. Speaking of offensive explosions, Colin, I know it's uh, it's the Hitchcockian team this week, but uh, to paraphrase a line from Star Wars, I, I felt a tremble in the force over the weekend as though a million fantasy managers cried out in pain. Justin Jefferson hamstring injury. That's going to explode a lot of people's fantasy hopes, not not least um, uh, the, the, the Vikings' fantasy of, of going all the way this year. Yeah, to, like that that's a, a nightmare for, for them because even at the weekend before the injury happened, he wasn't getting the ball as much this week, but all the attention was on him. And because of that, other players were able to, to come in. So losing him has the a huge impact in terms of uh, Jefferson's ability, but also what Jefferson makes defenses do. Um, the, e- everything that could go wrong for the Vikings is going wrong. Uh, and I said before the start of the season, I think this could be a team that are better than last year, and yet they lose more games. Um, I, I don't. I don't think they're. I don't think they're certainly that much worse than last year. Um, whether they're better or not, that might be questionable. But I certainly don't think they're they're that much worse. Uh, but everything has gone against them. Uh, and and where where are they now? Kirk Cousins. This is it. This is the the last year of of his contract. Um, Florio often talks about purple purgatory. They're truly in it now. You're on mute, there, Connor. <laughs> I swiftly muted and, and unmuted myself there. I was quicker than Tyreek Hill on the on the mute button there, and it, it cost me. Um, I was going to say, I find the Vikings a really frustrating watch. And to your point, and I know I spent a lot of the offseason kind of dumping on them and saying like all of that uh, karma that they had built up from winning all those one-score games last season was going to, going to catch them, which it has. But they're also very unfortunate. I mean, I don't know which team, and we'll get to the, the Ravens later on, or which team, is doing more to damage its own chances right now. It's the, the Ravens with the drops or the or the Vikings with the ball security issues. Just every week they have these costly fumbles. Every week they seem to be in good good positions and just let it slightly slip away from them. I mean, 
they gave the Chiefs as good as the Chiefs have gotten from anyone, with the exception of the Lions who beat them, um, and still came up short in a game that they they well near could have won. You know, and you some gutsy play calling from Kevin O'Connell. You know, Flores is probably it's going to take a while to improve that defense, right? That that's that's never a one season endeavor at the best of times, but they're right there. And and to be fair to them, I know the old Parcells quote about your you are what your record says you are. I kind of feel the Vikings, to be fair to them, are slightly better than the record says they they were. If they were mark, markedly worse than their record said they were last year, to your point, they probably have improved. And you know they're not necessarily seeing the rewards in the win loss column at the moment. And it is it is very frustrating to watch them. Well, just just on that, so you look at the games, and we're not going to drill into every game, but week one against the Bucks, very careless with the ball. Week two against the Eagles, gave them a real good count. You know, in hindsight, a lot of teams seem to be giving the Eagles a game, and obviously the Eagles are coming out on top. And then there was other games, but it's just so careless with the ball. Like on Sunday, they'll feel aggrieved. You know, they, they get a, you know, a pass interference, the flag is picked up. you got Chiefs players taking their helmets off, which is supposed to be a 15-yard, you know, penalty in the league. Like I can understand why Kevin O'Connell is, is very frustrated at the end, but yeah, they're thereabouts, and yet they find the ways to just do Vikings things, which we always talk about, which is to just you know shoot themselves in the foot. Got the Bears this weekend. It'd be interesting to see how they scheme against uh, the Bears. Bearing in mind, as Colin was rightly called out, the fact that Jefferson there, you're, you're constantly having to kind of factor in his presence on the field. He's no longer here this weekend. Jordan Addison and the players will have to step up. Back to London, it, it, it's worth kind of spending some time, uh, Brian, looking at the, at the Bills right now. You know, their injury list is is one of the lengthiest in the league right now. They, you know, very unfortunate non-contact injury for Tre'Davious White last week. He's gone for the season. Matt Milano now out indefinitely. Their their key linebacker, which is which is not something that they wanted to see. Uh, Dequan Jones, D lineman, gone down as well. That's another indefinite one. Uh, he might actually be gone for the season. I think that's a torn pectoral muscle. And that overshadowed. I mean, we've been talking since the start of the season about where will they be when Von Miller comes back, and that'll be the perfect injection. Now it's like he's coming to to relieve the the mortally wounded at the front. I mean, it's 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 been carnage for for the Bills. Unfortunately, a very uh, costly trip to to London, and they're looking pretty dinged up at the moment. Yeah, there was several players that went down. Johnson was another one that was down for quite some time during the game. So it looks like he's he's fine. But Matt Milano for me is like the biggest loss. He's such an underrated player. Essentially, he's the player that calls this defense. I was looking at some of the numbers. Like in twelve games, he's missed over over his career. Part of Bills, they're seven and five, and they've given up over twenty four points in every game. He is the marquee player. There. He probably doesn't get the credit around the league because of players and they bring in Leonard Floyd, who's really good. And Bob Miller's going to come back, but he's the guy that's been keeping it together um, over the course of the last four to five years. You can see it after the game. We went to the Sean McDermott press conference, and the questions for the large parts of the press conference weren't even about the game. It was about the injuries, and they looked very dejected about the orange for losing some of the players. In terms of the game, like we've seen, we've seen, you know, like just sort of a column today briefly, like there's such a narrative out there that the Bills have brought this on themselves by, by the nature of traveling over on a Friday. And now, people, Bills fans are suggesting that it was an unfair advantage because the Jags played there last week and they'd be kind of well, kind of briefed on how to deal with these things, having come over for so many years. And obviously, then the length of period in which they were in London. The Bills knew last May when the schedule came out. In fact, they probably knew before that because we, we always discussed the fact the teams get their schedule before we see the schedule. But they would have known the scenario around the Jags coming. And they made that decision. Sean McDermott openly said it in the press conference. We made that definitive decision to come on Friday morning. The Giants and the Packers came on Friday morning last year. As did the Saints, folks. I know it's an equal playing field in that instance because both were arrived on the same day. 
But surely I would have thought, bearing in mind that they knew that the Jags were over, they would have looked to do similar to what the Titans and the Ravens have done. They're already there. They flew out on, on Monday morning and got, so I get as much of the week there. They took a different approach. They took an approach that most of the teams have been taking over the last four to five years, which is arrive on Friday, walk through on Friday afternoon, bit of a practice on Saturday morning, play the game and get out of standstill on Sunday night. They looked flat. They, they punted on the first three drives. They got one force down before. They'd only had one force down performance to go in the fourth quarter. The Jags, I thought the Jags played a, a strong game, bearing in mind, okay, we can take the fact that they've been there, but I think we saw a strong game from, from Trevor Lawrence, and if it wasn't for two particular fumbles in the game, I think the game would have been put away a lot sooner. The Bills had a, an opportunity near the end, but good win for the Jags, but I, I'm not buying this 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 piece around at the league, given the Jags' advantage, because they had the opportunity to get out there as early as they could. What do you make of that one, Colin? Like, is is there a bit of complacency creeping in there for for the Bills? Is, was that their their downfall here? And that you know you, you might think you look at that on the schedule uh, when you're doing your plan and, and figure you've probably got enough to handle the Jags, London or not. Uh, regardless of the fact, to Brian's point, they knew well that the Jags were there from the previous week, and um, they might have thought on balance it's a better idea to roll into town. Let's hope we just just have enough to get over the line, and then we're out of there quickly, and we don't have to we don't have to spend too much time out of our comfort. Well, I think that one of the reasons why Bills fans are so upset, as Brian is kind of talking about, is Roger Goodell's comments, right? Because Roger Goodell goes on stage, and he, you know, maybe you know he didn't mean it, but you're, you're a hostage to fortune once you put the the comments out there. And he said, well, this is an experiment because we have one team that's been that's going to be in London for weeks and we have another team coming in late. So we're going to see how this works. And this might tell us a lot in terms of the long term future. And um, every team out there, right, I think all 32 have some grievance of, of some sort with Roger Goodell. And so when something like that happens and Roger Goodell has put that out there, that that is just that's manna, right? Because people are going to eat that up, and they're going to be able to point to it and say, "Well, this is what the the NFL." And you know, I I, I don't know if it was complacency because I think I saw a stat earlier today that the Jags and the Bills have played each other nineteen times um, since the the Jags came into existence, and the Jags are currently ten nine up. So going into this weekend's um, game, you know, I, I think the, the Bills may have known what they were up against, but it's difficult when you're trying to juggle where they are and coming off the back of the Dolphins win. And I, I certainly didn't pay enough attention to how much that probably took out of them. I think also you're going to have, um, in the same way in any trial, right, you, you have expert witnesses on either side. You'll have sports scientists that tell you go in later, right? And, and just try and hit the ground running. You'll go in, you'll stay awake. You it'll, it, you know, your your body will, you're not going to take the time to adjust and you may as well just get in and get out. Um, now, obviously, the Jags, it, they look fresher. Um, but that that sounds was... like how you'd approach a transatlantic stag party, though, rather than how you'd approach well, high-level elite athletic endeavor. But what, but the question should be, you know, like, I mean, I know when people will say, like, you know, the... It's a difference in terms of five hours, three hours, California. But the the extra two hours and flying east do make a difference. Right. Sorry, Brian, yeah. you wanted to make a point before? Yeah, no, just, just another podcast today. Josh Allen made some comments. Um, I don't think he did it. I don't think he was, he was being redundant. He was just kind of making the point. He goes, he didn't even feel like he was in 
done them because essentially all he saw was he said the, the only thing he noticed was a big difference was uh, he was driving on the other side of the road on the team bus to the stadium on the morning of the game and after the game because essentially they were brought in that morning were out to do the practice and then they were putting cotton wool for, his, for the over the course of the weekend and then obviously brought to the stadium on Sunday morning and then they were going out of a stand and said probably half nine quarter ten on Sunday night and Sean McDermott did say in the press conference if they if they are selected again to come over they would say uh, consider changing their options and, but he, he did say he kind of said there was, there was an art a fine art to this they had taken advice from several different teams across the league who have come in on the Friday difference being all those teams are playing each other on the Sunday have all come in on the Friday of night as opposed to the Jags who've been there for the balls at 10 sorry 14 days so there's any strategy that works as a winning one right ex post facto Val- validation is always the best see you told you it would work um, we'll move into the second segment